Hello, and welcome to episode four of The, the Spiel. Spiel, a regular podcast about games and the people who love them. I am Close. Stephen Conway. And David Colson. And uh, we are your hosts. We are your resident game experts. We are here to, to show you how to have the most fun with the widest variety of games out there. And believe us, there are a lot of games to choose from, and... It's good to have people like us to sort of point you in the right exactly. direction. How are you doing oh, tonight, I'm, Dave? I'm doing great, especially after we just played those two games and somebody won both of them. But I did we you won. really win both of them? Yep. I had just put that out of my mind I, somehow. I'm <laughs> marking this on my calendar, baby. <laughs> it's it, it was a long day. So. I had to cheat, but who cares? <laughs> Game news and notes. We've got two pretty interesting two. ones to talk Definitely. about. Um, why don't you Why don't you give it a shot? Oh. This is the segment where we we talk about stuff that we're that's coming out, no. things that we're salivating over. Exactly, can't wait to see. You always can find little snippets of stuff all over the internet about them, but there's nothing like waiting for that game to come out and physically being able to get it. And I think both of these have a lot of great things that we can't wait to see. Mm -hmm. So so this is sort of a preview of coming attractions of, of things down the road that you may actually hear in an episode of the spiel in, right. in greater detail sometime down the road. <laughs> if we ever make it to those games once we <laughs> buy them on the list. But, yep. <laughs> but, well, the, the game that I've picked um, this week is Gloria Mundi. And um, I've picked it for, for one reason. Well, actually, let me give you its vitals first real quick before I give you the reasoning. Um, it's a board game from Rio Grande. Um, and the designers are James Ernest and Mike Selinker. Um, James Ernest, you probably recognize from Cheap Ass cheap Games. Ass games. <laughs> and uh, Mike Selinker, um, probably most recognize him for having something to do with the new versions of Axis and Allies. Oh, so, okay. So um, he's helped to revise those newest versions of those. I knew the name sounded familiar, but I couldn't place it. Um, it accommodates two to six players. Plays in an hour, retails for about 45 bucks, and should hit the stores um, August 6th. Um, the, the reason why I was wait, couldn't wait for this game is one reason only. James Ernest. James Ernest, yeah. I knew yeah. you were going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, anybody who is familiar with his cheap-ass stuffs, he is, has been a genius in designing these, um, these games with funny and awesome um, themes. Just these goofy, crazy themes with these rather ingenious little mechanics, but he's been selling them under this cheap ass. Got like four bucks, five bucks, and so I couldn't wait till he got his, you know, got his yeah. teeth into a game with a high production value, mm -hmm. with a with a more serious theme. Not that there's anything wrong with the goofy, fun, over the top themes of his cheap yeah. ass stuff, but I couldn't wait to see what he was going to do with a serious thing. And I'm glad that he threw in with Rio Grande. Oh yeah, because couldn't I couldn't have picked a better, better match, you know, for James Ernest with Rio Grande. So before knowing anything else about this game, I couldn't wait for it. Yeah, the name recognition alone. Once and and I think people should pay attention to the designers of games because oh, it's really interesting. Time. I mean, you'll find sort of maybe some similarities, even though the games will be different. Once you've played a few games by the same designer you can kind of begin to see the areas that that designer really is right. interested in or likes and if it's a if if you find a game that you really like that's a good way to kind of expand 
your collection or find other games that you might like too right. as well yep. because they're not going to be the same game but you can kind of see how that person's mind works as warped and twisted yeah, as exactly. it might be and i can see i'm i'm hoping this is this is just going to be a head a start for james mm-hmm. in these type of things because from the cheap ass stuff that he's done there's no end to the creative oh, crap yeah. that he's going to come up with i guess you know maybe we should give a little aside and say cheap ass is not necessarily a derogatory term in the way we're using it. It's actually the name of his company. Right. Cheap ass games is the, it was started by, um, James, James Ernest yeah. and oh, I know, Phil Folio and several of those other yeah. people have some connection to them, but I don't know exactly how the whole business partnership right. stuff, um, he's rattles out, but evil genius behind, you know, he's the big kahuna. Yeah. <laughs> and their whole idea with cheap ass games, which is a brilliant idea is to, Put out games with fairly low production values, right. but to make them as affordable, and they're still great games. The idea of the game, the mechanic exactly. of the game is great, but it oftentimes the pieces of the board might be made out of cardstock that are just Xerox. You have to provide your own <laughs> dice and your own pawns because they don't come with the game. So they're, I mean, cheap ass in it, the, <laughs> literally cheap ass. Degree, exactly. <laughs> they don't view that as an insult, but. Right, um, and like I said, the mostly games were he chose to go down a road to pick just these goofy yeah. off the wall themes that to this day you won't have a clue where yeah. the hell he came up with these. Devil, like, Devil Bunny, Bunny needs a ham. Needs a ham. Devil Bunny needs a ham. Give me uh, the brain. Exactly, <laughs> like, Lord of the Fries. There's just the list goes on. It's, <laughs> it's crazy. So this is a departure, exactly. As far as for him and in terms of the other games that he's. Put right. out, so I can see definitely why you'd be looking forward to. Exactly. The other thing that's cool about this is um, most of Rio Grande's stuff is a co-produced co-produced game between a German company and him. You know, they'll make the German version and he'll do the English version. This isn't. This is published just by Rio, just in English, and they've done a couple other small things, but this is the first full-blown large board game that they've ever done. That's just, just Rio theirs. Grande. Yeah, so that's, that's pretty, a good. That's, that's pretty cool. I'd say it's a good way to make a splash into the market right. to get somebody like James, James Ernest exactly. to to sit down and make something. Exactly. That's really so I'm looking forward to this puppy. Like I said, it should be out on August sixth. Actually, it should have been out six months ago. <laughs> um, however, it was supposed to be out in July, and now it's been pushed to August. So with any luck, it should be no later than the fall of '06. Mm-hmm. So. The, Did you the theme? No, nope, I never. Of the, it's, it's basically. It still... um, basically, I'll read you a little snippet of stuff that they've got here. I said the glory of Rome is fading. You're a Roman statesman struggling to survive in this era of cultural decline and political chaos, while foreign invaders and domestic incompetence devour the last resources of the empire. You'll try to build your career out of the rubble. So basically, you're going to have farms and cities and legions. And you're going to be um, basically building these while they call um, the Goths are going to be moving into Rome <laughs> to take over. You're going to have all these properties and stuff that you own, and they're going to be bowling over them. You're going to have to use these properties um, to basically what am I trying to to basically get, you're trying to get as much out of the properties as you can before they're completely buried under. Hmm. Um, and you're using what you get from these properties to help get you the hell as far away from Rome as you can <laughs> before the Goths come in and take over. So it just it just looks really fun. Um, one thing that I'll notice that 
a little quote by from Mike Salinger. He said one thing that he thinks is cool is that except for the rules, everything in the game is printed in Latin, entirely oh, in Latin. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> the, the cards, the board, the components, everything. And the components, the computer renderings I've seen of the components are really cool. Hmm. These really neat little Roman figures and barbarians and little lumps of food and little <laughs> things that represent gold and glory. So, so are they like from ancient sort of things? Are they meant to be sort of like ancient Roman art in terms of the artwork, or is it more sort of... No, I, it, oh, okay. I don't think it is. They're just going to be really unique little wooden components. That's cool. We can put they, a link to them in the show notes yeah. um, so you can see what we're talking about. So, um, like I said, the, the theme is awesome, the Rome thing, um, the Goths coming in and taking over, and you trying to get the hell out of there before yeah. they come in, you know... I guess if you don't um, if you don't pay tribute to the Goss every turn, they keep moving closer, and as they move closer, they just you know churn stuff up that <laughs> you know at one time was yours, but it's now gone. Um, so it looks really neat. Um, fortunately, I wouldn't have cared what the hell the theme was. Yeah, this, <laughs> I can't wait. But so that's my that's my pick for new thing coming out hopefully in the next few months and. Can't that's wait. a good one. I didn't know about that one, so that's, that's news to me too. So I'll add it to my list too. <laughs> Damn you! <laughs> so what are you looking at? So mine, um, I ran across this one, and I I was interested in it not only because of the game and the kind of theme, but also it's a departure for this particular game company. It seems like a they're taking a a flyer out in a new direction. So it's a game called Easter Island. It's due out here in August. Um, it's by uh, Twilight Creations, who you probably know better for such classics Horror. as zombies yeah. and all of the the requisite sequels to the. Zom- I don't even know how many there are. You got but, five um, ish. <laughs> very sort of B movie horror zombie movie type uh, mm-hmm. games. Really fun, kind of on the light side, but they have a whole kind of their bailiwick is horror themed yeah. games of some. Sort. They have several other ones. Um, when darkness, when darkness falls, falls, I think is the name of that one. What's that other board game about the seven um, circles of? Is it Inferno? Yeah, or? Inferno. Is that right? Exactly. Okay. I knew it was based Inferno. on Inferno, but and I didn't they've know got that was kind the name. of like a medieval take on their zombie game too. One of the newer things. Oh, that's right. Out, um, that looks kind of neat. Mm-hmm. They had that one goofy, oh. all wound up, the little mechanical oh, yeah, skeletons that <laughs> jump around. <it's, laughs> Um, haven't played, but looks insane. So this is a the thing that no, made me notice at first was that I was like, this is a Twilight Creations game, and it yes. doesn't involve the undead. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but unless, it, unless the players are yeah, yeah. Perhaps I didn't read the notes closely <laughs> enough, or they're not telling us everything. But so it's designed by Roberto Fraga and Odette Lomere. Probably butchering that name, but Fraga is familiar. Um, but. Yeah, I, I don't know about Mr. O, Odette Lomare. I don't know about him. It's a two-player game. Um, here's the sort of brief synopsis from what I found um, in my research. Easter Island is a mysterious island in the South Pacific. Its inhabitants have long since vanished without a trace, except for the giant Moai, which are the giant you know, yeah. Easter Island heads that we all Indian are familiar with. <laughs> These giant statues are so large and heavy that modern man has had a difficult time recreating them without modern tools. Tools the original inhabitants most certainly couldn't have possessed. Uh, this game speculates that the statues were, in fact, beam weapons created by two powerful wizards 
So we can see they're already kind of going okay. off the deep end here. These wizards use the statues in a giant game with the island itself as a board, and you are now one of those wizards. Uh, <laughs> Easter Island lets you place your statues and move them into positions, and then when everything is ready, call upon the power of the sun to topple your opponent's statues, and thus your opponent. The Evil. first death ray from the eyes. Yeah, that, that sounds, just the whole concept of it sounds really cool, and it actually reminds me of the the cool new game this Christmas, uh, Deflection, Oh, right. is what it makes me think uh, of with the little lasers that yeah. you're trying to bounce off of uh, this Deflection game that we're talking about. actually has a laser built into the board, and you use little pieces to bounce your laser to try to, to eliminate your off. opponent's pieces, and it sounds like sort of an abstract strategy non version, non-electronic version. version, just from what I've read. I mean, right. I, I don't know the game in specific. Well, so, Theme-wise, they couldn't have picked any better. I yeah. Mean, I don't... I mean, I, we know a hell of a lot of games. Off the top of my head, I'm not thinking of anything themed Easter Island-ish. And that's hard to do, to find a niche like that right. that hasn't been just beaten to death. Exactly. And this, this you could do tons of stuff. I mean, the... The mystery behind Easter Island is so cool, man. You could do limitless mm -hmm. stuff on this, so it's awesome to finally yeah. see something come out. And uh, I guess the, the the one other thing that attracted me was, and I'm sure Dave will agree, uh, so it has you know a full-color game board, sun tokens, but the most interesting thing mm -hmm. is it comes with 14 custom-sculpted Moai statue pawns, Hello. so you're going to get giant big Easter Island heads yeah. to mess around with on the board, and that's just going to look cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I have to own the game just for those pieces. So that's I think that's my pick for for this week, and I think that that's cool. going to go I, on the must. I, uh, I'm I'm excited to see that. I hope they'll have it at Gen Con. What was? Did you August is the August prospective school. release date, so they'd be they do well. Was it a kind of a you know what the price? Remember, there was no there price was no, listed. It okay. was all it's so advanced. Even the information it was very sketchy in the places oh, that okay. I saw. Um, they didn't list anything related to price, so I would Maybe guess... Maybe we'll get to see a hint of that at Gen Con mm -hmm. Well, if it's, if it's due out in August, I wouldn't be surprised well, if that, they might have they, it for sale or ready to roll out. They're um, probably going to use Gen Con as a, a preview, you know... A, a way to preview yeah, it, or, or at least playtest it. That yeah, would be a really fun thing to playtest. They've always had a fun little booth, so mm -hmm. that'll be fun. Um, so I think that wraps it up this week for uh, News and Notes. <laughs> The List. Every, uh, every episode, our goal is to have played down, we will have just played uh, at least one, if not two or three, games from our list of unplayed games. We have this ever-growing and ever-shrinking list of games. Our goal being to actually one day, someday in the future... Get down to the big goose egg. We know, we know this might not ever happen, but we're, we've made our peace with that. We're okay with it. I think it's it. going to be all for naught. But you know, we will have played a lot of games and had a lot of fun in the interim, and I think right. that's really what matters. And that's what we're trying oh, yeah. to drive home to all you listeners out there, is that you know that you play is more it's important than actually what you more. play. And But we can direct you to the games that you're going to have the most fun with, because time is valuable, and... You may not want to sit down and play you the 7,000 exactly. games that we're going to play, so we'll take that bullet for you. We'll exactly. play the crappy ones to let you know which ones which are the ones, ones to, to play. Which ones the good ones. So 
this week, uh, what what's on the agenda? What what have we played? Well, we played Go West and Bazaar. Um, we can start with Go West. Um, basically, it was um, it's published by how do you pronounce what they? Uh, Phalanx. Oh, that's right, Phalanx Games, and it was designed by Leo Colavini, uh, which has he's done tons of other games. If you're familiar with his stuff. I haven't played a bad one from him. He, he's done stuff like Corollas Magnus, Cartagena, Doge, Meridian, Clans, um, tons of other stuff. Corsari Corsar, Corsar yeah, is Corsar, a good yeah. one. Um, I don't think I've played... Have we played that Incognito? Uh, no. That's one that... It's an older game um, that got great reviews that just recently, within the last year or so, has been... they. Um, we brought it back out. Oh, we so. played. I've played that Bridges of Shangri La. That's that, that's good. That, that's I a like, good. Thing. I like that one. Um, he helped. He worked with uh, Klaus Jurgen Reed to do the Carcassonne the Discovery. Hmm. Um, People so, rave about that. I I yeah, own it, but yeah. I haven't played that one yet. It's it's it, on it's the really list. Neat. <laughs> so needless to say, very prolific designer. Um, so tonight we played his game Go West. Um, I guess. Yeah, let me see. It was. Um, Playing time is about 45 minutes, which I, I say is pretty good. Um, retails for 30 bucks, but you can get it for like 17-ish, yeah, something like that. Um, it came out in 05, and it's basically, um, the theme is like American West exploration and like a quick overview of, you know, you've got these um, Conestoga wagons, mm-hmm. these cool little wooden... Uh, Conestoga wagon pieces working their way all the way from New England through the middle part of the United States and eventually to California. And you're playing the part of these business owners that are trying to reap as much stuff from them as they pass by you, <laughs> you know. And it's it was a really fun game. I guess I should actually read the official synopsis rather than my bastardized no, version of what happened. <laughs> you, you got the gist of it there. <laughs> and basically, in the late 18th century, the fast-growing population of the emerging United States of America showed an increasing interest in the Wild West. Millions of poor immigrants were arriving from Europe, and the populations of the city of cities on the East Coast swelled enormously. Endless plains and huge mountain ranges, thinly populated by Native Americans and rich in game, farmland, and minerals, started luring large numbers of them. Settlers traveled in wagon trains and established themselves ever further west until they finally reached California and the Pacific Pacific Coast. So basically, we do we represented the businessmen who are going to benefit from these passing wagons, and um, it was I thought it was a fun little game. It was really unique in management of your your components, which uh, he used money and influence. Yes, they were the they were one and the same, mm-hmm. and so managing them, um, if if you were going to use them to influence certain portions of the board, you were losing that which you could use as income. Yes, to further purchase more. You basically, yeah, you have a pile of little wooden discs that represent uh-huh. either your money or your your influence influence that you're able to put out onto the board yes. to affect how you're going to score in different ways and. Uh, that's that's always one of those great game balance things where you have you have more things you want to do than you have abilities yeah, to do all exactly. the things you want to do, and you, so you have to make tough choices from the turn one, step one. You're you're behind that eight ball, but everybody's behind that eight it, ball. Right. So 
I, I like the fact that um, it, there's a the, you use a deck of cards. Um, you have like a hand of seven cards that you're getting to play from, and they're action cards. And each action card will let you do one thing or two things, um, and those things would be to actually place influence on the board and then to move your wagons, not your wagons, but to move the wagons across the board. And when they're stopped in a place where you have influence, if you can play a scoring card, then you're going to get to reap mm. the benefits and actually gain points from that. That's pretty much the key to the game is yeah. trying to manipulate those wagons, m- manipulate your your little scoring money slash influence tiles, so that you have the most in a particular area of the country. While at, at the, the same wagons. time, you have wagons at the exactly. at the spot when you have the majority. I have to confess that I completely sucked at doing this. I really had a hard time wrapping my brain around how to how to just get the flow get it of all to line the game. Up. Every time I get one aspect lined up, I'll be like, alright, got the majority, I got no wagons. And then I'd have all the wagons yeah. and I'm like in last place wherever I have them. So it was it was tough and then you had um, the third option was you could sell a card. Oh right. Because eventually you have to get as you're using that those influence chips to pay for using one of those cards, you run out really quick. So you have to sell those cards to get that influence back. And of course, you, you're selling the big ones that you can sell for the most amount are the cool ones that you wanted to hold on to mm-hmm. and actually use as actions in the game. And, and you can't because you need to spend them to get that influence back. Yeah. So, so what, what did you like the most about this game? Well, that's what I, I love, the, du- the double use of a component and a mechanic, you know, basically using those influences as the money. You know, so it was a limit. I think we each had 30. Yeah. You know, we each had 30 of those, and cards were costing three, four, five, six. So every turn, if you wanted to do an action, you're paying three, four, five, or six to the bank, and it's gone. And what you have left is what you get to place in the influence. So you've got both those things. You've got them going in two different directions. You're sending them off here. You're sending them off here, which means you're running the hell out of them real quick. Mm-hmm. And that's what I thought was really cool. Yeah, I would agree. I think the any game that has that that tough decision making from the get go, or in order to benefit yourself and to give yourself points, you almost always end up giving your opponents points. I think is a really yeah. a sign of a, a well thought out game that. It's it's almost impossible to to not sort of by helping yourself help everyone right. else even though you, that's the last thing you really want to do you almost end up having to do that unless you just are a whiz at, at orchestrating the board I mean I think that's the whole design exactly. balance is that you I think know, there were very few times when any of us got to score when it was just ourselves scoring yeah you couldn't get in a situation where that happened very often. It was I think, well, I think you did it more than anyone else, and I, I think was, that's probably why you ended up winning. Right. You I know, just, if, if you can just do that a couple times a couple to- right. without anybody else cashing in, you're in pretty good shape. And they, and they make it cost a fortune to score, too, like <laughs> later on in the end. The first few scores aren't too costly, but as, yeah, as to, it goes along, it's expensive. Come to think of it, that's kind of a unique... A twist on a mechanic in that in order to score in this game you actually have to pay right money or influence to actually score points so you're having to give up some of your power in order exactly. to actually move ahead on the and scoring the, the track cool and that's kind of cool it's I not think. just you that's scoring i mean 
it's basically you're paying the money for an, a scoring for round, for a to scoring happen. round to happen for the whole board to score, which is really cool. Yeah, I, I like that too. Um, what what did you not like about this game? Um, I don't know. I, th- I think it had a lot going for it. I mean, the fact that we both feel like we need to play it another time or so just to get wrapped around what was happening means I think it, it held our interest from the beginning till the end. And even though we you were saying you um, quite didn't get some of the stuff and I was the one that actually, actually won the game, it was a very small <laughs> gap between... For, well, you first know, and second, there were it was a, a one point, point difference, yeah. and then there was yeah. me. You know. But but still, that, <laughs> you were in California. I was just crossing the Mississippi. That, that gap was still only another six or seven points. You know, I mean, for the whole thing. So it was. It's not like, like, I, for, it's not like any one of us thought we were out of the game from the get. You know, oh, no, God, no. I'm so, far, so far behind, I, I can't. No, I I don't think it was the game design's fault that I played so poorly. I think it was just I. Just, it's one of those games I think I'd have to play a couple more times before I really get it, where the light bulb's going to go on and I right. really understand how I'm supposed to play it. But, I mean, that's any game could be that that kind of game where if you just don't right. can't get into the mindset of it to begin with, it may take a, a time or two before you really understand the not the right way to play, but a good strategy to take when you're trying to manipulate right. the board and... The ways that I tried to experiment doing just fell flat on their face <laughs> at every turn. I do have something, though, that I didn't like about okay. it. The thing that I didn't like is I felt like the theme was completely pasted on. Oh, really? The, I, I mean, the components were cool, don't uh-huh. get me wrong, but it could have been themed almost oh. anything. It was so abstract. They didn't take full advantage of if you're going to make it a sort of Western-themed uh-huh. game, there should have been more tie-ins, I thought, um, somehow with the western theme. I, the board itself, I mean, it's not really the aesthetics of, of right. the it's thing that I'm knocking. It's more the sort of marriage of, if you're going to make it this sort of American West kind of game, give it a little more of that feel. Because to right. me, it was just, he had abstract game concept, and here yeah. on the wow. other side, oh, well, let's call it a western game, and if we give it cool pieces, that'll make it a western game. Right. To me, that wasn't enough. It didn't. And that that marriage. We've seen it done and done well, and it doesn't. You know, it's completely average in that respect. Where yeah, the game right. mechanic itself is really cool, but I don't think it it would and win any high marks for me on. Bring if you're gonna don't just paste the theme on it. If you're gonna give it a, a what could have been a really cool theme right. for the game, you and can't I, just give I, it cool components and think that's enough. And I think unfortunately the European game designers. Have been notorious for just poorly slapping on. You know, there there are some good in some ones, cases, yeah. But there's been a lot they've been dished for that over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, but but you're absolutely right. This could have done a lot of other things to put you in the feel, you know, of the old west. And it wasn't. It was just a abstract influence based game mm-hmm. with, albeit, a couple really cool mechanics. Mm-hmm. that we've either seen before but not using this way or maybe you've never seen before. Yeah. But um, would are you looking forward to playing it again? Yeah, I would definitely play it again. I would too, I, just yep. despite the fact that I sucked at it. I, yep. I, it just makes me almost want to play it. When we finished it, I was like, all right, let's play again, That's, damn yeah. it, because I want to figure out what the heck I'm That's not the other, understanding the other cool about thing it. Is it wasn't, 
really hard to learn how to play, no. and it's not a long game. So you could easily sit down and play a couple, you know, do a couple goes, mm-hmm. you know, in one evening. So so check it off the list. Woo-hoo, that's gone. That's down to <laughs> 67, 67. Hell Woo! yeah. That's what we're talking about right there. So game number two tonight was uh, a game called Bizarre. Um, not bizarre, yeah, like exactly. weird, woo uh, but bizarre, like, um, exactly. I don't even really know how it fits with the, the theme, I guess the box. First off, we should say this is an older game, a quite right. old game. It yeah. was published in 1968 by the venerable 3M Game Company, yeah. uh, which we know and love for their <laughs> multiple bookshelf game sets. Um, 3M, which merged with Avalon, Avalon Hill, Hill which I'm right. sure some of you all know about for the their bookshelf-style games and these really nice... They were meant to sit on a bookshelf yeah. and almost look like sort of hardback Back books, books exactly. sitting on your shelf. Um, and like Dave was saying, you might even want to describe, they all have these just classic pictures. on. They, they always have really interesting sort of colorful illustrations on the front, but then on the back they always have They're really... Actually a, a photograph where they, they set up the um, props and everything. It's usually a table with the game laid out and then thematically behind it, in this particular instance, is an Indian bazaar, mm-hmm. you know, where you would go and trade your wares <laughs> and stuff. And it's always got this 60-ish, 70-ish slant at yes. those, you know, into those things and they're just, they're wonderful. It's sort of like, you know, oh, here's the typical family that would have bought Bazaar who just gotten, happened to get up from their table yeah, to go get a drink yeah, or something exactly. and they're sort of looking in on their, you know, Because there's never wherever. any people in these photographs at all. It's it's wonderful. Just it's sort of as a historical, I mean, they're just sort of yeah. snapshots a of, look in and that of the world, of yeah, yeah, which is really cool, I think. It is. Um, and Dave collects these 3M games and has an awesome, is it complete now? It, it is complete. I have as complete every, as it's really ever going to get. I have every bookshelf game that they released. That's awesome. Um, they, there was one that they didn't release and a few prototypes got out. I don't have that one because if you find it, it's going to be $4,000. Yeah. Well, say the name of it because you never know who's listening out yeah, there. It, and, um, you know, if somebody has a copy of this sitting in their back room and they don't want you're gonna, it. You're going to put the pressure on me to remember. <laughs> I'm trying to put it out of my mind. I think it's Yachty. J-A-T-I, something like that. Okay. Well, we'll put the name, full name yeah, in the we'll show have, notes we'll have to for look sure. Because there's... In this particular series of games, there's a bunch of games with strange little cool names, so I might be confusing that with some we'll, other We'll get it right in the show notes if think that's it was, not it. But I think it was Yachty. If anybody happens to have an extra copy of that, or, <laughs> you know, it's, it's bizarre where you find these types of games. I mean, you oh. can find them at freaking Goodwill stores oh, and absolutely. places like that. that yep. I've bought um, several on eBay. And several of the people who sold them to me got them at Goodwill or yard sales or, you know, going to gaming conventions. But Back to Bizarre, though. So Bizarre, published in 1968. The designer is Sid Saxon, um, one of the great designers think, of the 20th century. You I, can't really play games for very long without really... No. You've probably played a Sid Saxon game without realizing you've played one. Again, sort of emphasizing... Good game designers, you know the sort of breadth and, and quality of kinds of games they put out. So here's a a short highlight reel oh. for Sid Saxon, um, Acquire, yeah, classic uh, 
basically Ho- stock, you know, investing yeah. in the stock of hotels. Hotels and... and exactly. You're just... Um, it's been a long time since I've played that one, but it is a classic in the mechanic that he used where you're drawing uh, tiles and forming these conglomerates of businesses based on how the tiles are drawn in place and then trying to invest in the stock in the in the companies that you think are, are going to be, be large big. and take over the smaller companies. Mm-hmm. And it's just a classic, and it's, it's great. So... Um, and then you got Can't Stop, which could quite possibly be like one of the original greed style games. Yeah. You know, yeah. classic and <laughs> it set you know, it set the uh, bar pretty high for everything coming after that. Mm-hmm. So there's other ones like Executive Decision, um, I'm the Boss. I don't oh. think I've played on the Boss. I'm the Boss is great. It's a great game if you're getting together with a group of friends who just a frenetic crazy evening of <laughs> you're trying to make deals and everything is just yelling and happens so fast oh yeah well I'll give you two of this oh yeah well and it just goes on crazy it's been a while since I played mm-hmm. it but it's insane probably one of my favorites though is Byword which is um, great little a word game. great um, Scrabble type game but mixed in with sort of financial you have to buy your t- letter tiles you buy them for one thing, and then the object is to try and assemble them so that you'll be able to sell them for more than what you paid for them. Because it's a multiple, right? Yes. Somehow yes. there's a multiple. Um, of, based on the little dots on little the tiles, dots on right? The tiles. Um, and but it, it's a great. Game. It's a great, Classic. great synthesis of these different types of games. You know, putting putting together the sort of financial game. He seems to be really interested in in doing that, and I think complete different things together and he does a great job at well it. I think Bazaar is a good example right. of that kind exactly. of game so back back on track here yep. so it's uh, for two to six players uh, average play time is they list is 45 minutes but I would say I think that we once we learned it half hour half hour I'd say yeah. tops uh, there was it, three of us um, uh-huh. I think you can play up to six so I guess if you had up to six it could squeak yeah, to 45 I, yeah I could see how it could because there longer. is um, well I'll let you continue in all the rest of the synopsis and stuff. Yeah, first. yeah. So, um, although it's out of print and it's cur- in that 1968 version, you can find versions of Bazaar online for twenty five, thirty dollars. So it's it is still available. I wouldn't say readily available, but if you if you're diligent, you can definitely yeah, you find can copies find it. out there. Um, the game consists of it, the game, like most of the 3M games, sort of plays inside the box. The box is sort of part of the the game board itself. You have little plastic chips, which I guess represent the different kinds of commodities or trade goods that you're you're trying to wheel and deal with in the bazaar. Um, And there are little wells in the box that you draw the the chips out of. There's um, in the middle a little setup that tells you sort of the exchange rate for the different chips. For all the different wares, exactly. There are five different colors of chips. Is five colors, five of, colors chips. of chips, and so you you might be able to turn in one blue chip for a red, a green, and a yellow. Yeah. Every time you set up the game, there um, there's going to be ten random equations that mm-hmm. are that are going to allow or exchange rates, whatever you want to call them. So there are little sort of mini boards that you put in the middle that will determine what goes for what, and that the cool thing is that the exchange goes both ways. Right. So you could exchange two white chips for a red and a yellow, or you could do the reverse and do a red and a yellow for two white. Exactly. 
makes it a little mind-boggling at first when you open it up and you just get all you get start getting chips in front of you makes it kind of difficult to know what in the heck you could do because you have so many choices. Even though there's 10 equations out there, there's really 20 possibilities of how you can trade them based on the chips that you, you know, have at any given time. So the the basic object, I guess, of the game um, is, I'm not sure, I, I'm going to go through this whole synopsis oh, okay. as I have it written out because I think it... Um, yeah, I would go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Because I think I can abstract it a little better yeah. than, than what they have down here. You've got a series of... Um, I don't. Do they call? It, do they give a name? Are they order cards? Or at the other end of the board, there are cards turned face up that you're trying to buy, basically out of the bazaar, that have five different color chips. Uh, right. And the way you get those cards is by turning in the appropriate number. So it might have three green and two red. So you're trying to amass that color combination to buy that card out of the middle and score points. The twist on the mechanic is that you score the most points for having none left over. So you want to be able to buy a card without having any excess chips in your warehouse, basically. You're trying to emphasize that trading you know, theme in here where you're trying to trade everything and not have, you know, this leftover stuff. You want to trade this for this, exactly this for this, and walk away with the best thing that you can get, you know, without having wasted anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and so when you when you sell something and you have nothing left, you reap the greatest benefit. If you still have a bunch of chips left, then it's really, you know, it's worth a you're, lot less. You're punished, yeah, pretty and severely. And the cool thing is they make it really hard to get rid of stuff that you don't need. <laughs> yes. It is really, especially on the board setup that we, it's randomly set up, there wasn't very many opportunities for us to trade single three or four things down to one single thing. So it was hard to get rid of stuff, so you had to be very careful on what you, what you collected, because... If you collected too much, it mm-hmm. was just going to be wasted. The, yeah, to me, that the most interesting thing was that you, you find yourself like, oh, well, I ha- I could buy that right now, but you don't want to <laughs> because you're going to score practically nothing for it or maybe one point where if you can whittle down your sort of stock to where you just have enough to buy it, then you, you, you know score big time for and that. It's just tough enough to collect those things that one of the funnest parts in our game tonight was when just how how the game was going, we all kind of had the same chips. <laughs> yeah. And there was only one order out there for those chips. You got to it first before <laughs> we did. Yeah. And so Jason and I were stuck with chips that were in none of the other orders. And like we said before, they're mm-hmm. tough to get rid of, so we had to go through this huge process of, once again, trading all the stuff we had just spent 10 minutes collecting, you know, for new stuff. Yeah, if, if I didn't emphasize it before, the cards are random. There are stacks of five of these cards. There's five face-up orders. You know, in some cases, you might have only one that shows green chips. So if everybody starts collecting green chips <laughs> to try to get that order, whoever gets there first, the other two people are going to be, damn you, because yeah. now suddenly my green chips are worthless. So you have to spend turns trading them to try to turn them into the colors right. that you need. I, the one mechanic that I've left out, of course, is the die. Yep. Um, there's a multicolored, they have little dots um, on each different side of the die, on each side. which represent the different colors of the commodities, plus one side that's like a wild card that says choice, which just means you can get whichever one you want. So instead of using the little exchange uh, meter, you just go pot lock. You can just say, hey, I'm, I need a white, Please. baby needs a new pair of shoes, exactly. and hope you get it. 
I had the magic touch oh, when it came to that. You were Captain Yellow. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we need four yellows. Uh, bam, four yellow bam, rolls bam. in a row. Exactly. It was that wasn't natural. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't help me win though. You still beat me in the end though. Um, so I think I've, that that's sort of an overview of of the game. Unless you want to throw no, no your two that, cents worth in. Um, what did you like about it? Um, I liked that I. The, the, what you hated in the last game, I think, was excellent in this game. I think he did tie in with the theme awesome. I mean, you absolutely felt like you were, you know, in a bazaar doing haggling for these all these exchanges and trading two of these for this. You had to plan like three, you mm-hmm. know, three moves down. Well, I'm going to trade these two for that one. When I get this one, I'll be able to trade it for these four, which I'll be able to take <laughs> two of these, trade it for one of those, and then if I'm lucky. That one good will that order will still be there for mm-hmm. me to buy, and to me that's exactly what at least you think it would feel like if you were in an old you know in a yeah. bazaar in India trying to <laughs> haggle and trade for all this stuff. For as much sort of wheeling and dealing where it's just you trying to manipulate your own chips with the middle, I, I totally agree that you totally you feel like you're wheeling and dealing not just with the the middle which is sort of like all the other merchants but you have to be keeping an eye on your opponents and going oh crap they're trying to get the same deal that I am so I I am I going to risk it and maybe roll and get lucky to try to get myself one chip ahead of them right. or am I just going to stick with the plan and hope they try to get lucky and fail um yeah I I would say the theme uh, marriage really of the well. theme and the concept is really, really yeah. good. And to know game. that it was, you know, forty some odd years ago. Yeah. You know, when when this was done, it this is probably that particular mechanic. And if you see it in any other game nowadays, it probably came from here. Yeah. <laughs> I but, think. Uh, yeah. I, to me. Oh crap! I just had a brain fart. Um, <laughs> Train of thought that left town. <laughs> <laughs> totally left town. What was I going to say? Um, oh, it's the the modular nature of the the board and how totally different the game is going to be. Every, the, the replayability right. of it to it's me is the thing huge. I think that I like the most. Is that it's impossible to play this game the same twice because the combinations of your exchange rate cards are going to be totally different every With time you play. Orders. The dice rolls you're going to get to begin with in terms of the combinations of chips you start right. out with are going to be different. And the order cards that you're trying to fill are going to come up in a random yeah, I, I order. I think there's so. like 40-ish, and you only use might like 45 cards, and you only use 20 in the game. So and you don't even see all those through the course of, right. of the game. So Exactly. Um, what did you not like about it? I would say I would have loved to seen this have a little more player interaction. Some some way where, you know, just like what you said before, you at some point in time you say, oh my God, we're all going for the same thing. And there's really nothing you can do to hinder your opponents, you know, or to sway them away from going the same thing. I would love to have seen some type of trading possibility when, okay, we're going for this. How about, you know, I trade, you know, I also have an option to trade, you know, somebody else maybe to help beat you know, out that other person to get there. Mm-hmm. It was it was a great game, but a little more player interaction would have been awesome. I again, uh, not to be a broken record, but I would I would totally agree that that would that would only improve an already it's good solid game, right. concept yep. of the game. I do have again 
This is it kind of it's funny that these two games match up so well. I don't think you did that on purpose. No, I but did, but they they do. They do match up well. To me, um, where they get the theme and the the sort of mechanics right, it's the aesthetics of this one oh. that are so generic. And yeah. I, I realize you're holding it against a game that's. I, I, I'm not really knocking the game because right. it was made in 1968. But when the box, like we were talking about earlier, has so, this great art, and they obviously want to give you the feel and the look on the outside of the game to have this sort of exotic, you know, trading right. trading in a foreign kind of uh, you know exotic locale. It do, in no way translates to the no. actual components. No. You know, basically the exchange rate are just little colored dots with an equal sign and other yeah, things. Just a very you could have made those different kinds of commodities. You know, even if oh. the chips were just still plastic chips, the little illustrations they on the could cards have been and things could have been and silk and you know, I mean, it could have been yeah, all kinds of and wood or you know yeah. any kind of. But it was just a really generic, very generic, and you know, very uh, primary colored. Red, green, blue dots, you know, mm-hmm. type of stuff. And again, that didn't affect my enjoyment. Of, no. You know, I thought it was a darn good game, and I enjoyed playing it, but it would only enhance it. What what it really makes me want to see is somebody to re-release it. Right. And, you know, to see one of these companies, be, how they're yeah. doing, you know, with uh, some of these, you know, German, where they'll, they'll sort of tweak it a little for the American market. It would be great to see. I guess the unfortunate thing is that it's freaking... Avalon Hill probably owns the rights to it, which means oh, that absolutely. only Hasbro, Hasbro. Yep. would do it. And, when, and this game, you know, in fairness, was designed that. back in a time when games of this style were in their infancy. True. You know, and um, everybody wasn't, they weren't, they hadn't advanced in the next step of, you know, wrapping well, the components into the theme. Yeah, to me, the interesting thing is you could see they were thinking along those yeah. lines because they got it. When it came to the box design, oh, yeah, which you right. think would be the last thing that they might, you know, get around to, and the components—they they had the important hook. They had the yeah, hook yeah. that you were going to see at the store. You know, <laughs> it was going to make you bring it home. So the, that's you know, the game and the picture on the back actually looks more cool than right. when you get it out and play it, and that's that's a little bit of a letdown. But I love the—I mean, I love all these 3M games, so it's yeah. not it's not they're, really they're a classic. harsh criticism, but it's definitely it's something that Just could be some, improved. Yep, you know, absolutely. If you were going to re-release it, I would definitely look at doing that. Um, I would definitely play it I again. Would, in yeah, a I would love to play it again. We played with um, three of us, and you can play up to six. I would. I think that would be great to see. You know, play it up to six. I think you pointed this out too. You could play this. This would be a great game for uh, young ones. You could play this with. I think oh. as young as eight year old. Yeah, because they, it's, it's it because that's I guess an advantage to the simplicity of the the components in that it's just you know red two red dots equals two white right. dots you know on some level it kind of has a it's in no way related to Candyland or something like that yeah. but visually you have that simplicity going for you that you could sit down with an eight year old and say oh, okay you could turn two these white things into two blue things or whatever and that's not a hard concept yeah, and when, to yeah, get across to even two whites into the blue ones. once you get a blue you know you needed it because you needed one blue to trade in for two reds and it's just I think that would be great, great for all ages and it has a it does have a little paragraph in there um, for a solo game you know yeah that, that's really that's really neat to just kind of see how quick you can go about coming up with the correct combinations to get X number of cards or X number of points mm-hmm that's pretty neat. So I think um, good job this week. You picked two good ones yeah, the, and, and two 
interestingly connected ones yeah, in terms felt, of the way you're managing your resources and trying to parcel they, them. They both had, um, in addition to, they both had a puzzly feel to them. You know, like you were trying to puzzle out. Yes. You know, with yourself. You know, in addition, obviously, the other players were there, but you felt it was it was you against this puzzle mm-hmm. in both games. It was, it was just really neat. So that'll wrap up the list for this week. Woohoo! And that that takes us down to somewhere around sixty six. Yeah, I, I think that's yeah. sixty six. It was sixty eight. Sixty yep. eight last week. So, yep. well, have you bought any new games? No. I guess that, oh my God! I Write did, this date down. I bought, well, I in bought history. an expansion. Oh, now. <laughs> See, you just lied. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not really a whole game by itself. But this this within the past week, the latest expansion for Carcassonne came out, Carcassonne Tower. I could not buy it. So, But you count expansions separately from Carcassonne on, on your list of played and unplayed things, right? You can't say you've played Carcassonne Tower just because we played Carcassonne, yeah, well, right? Fortunately, Carcassonne Tower is um, a sub-listing under Carcassonne, so it never really shows up as uh, yeah, existing yeah. in the list. <laughs> so it's... Just keep telling yourself that. <laughs> so, net gain of one. <laughs> Woohoo! Yeah! Backshelf Spotlight. This is a subject that's near and dear to David Coulson's heart. Brings a tear to my eye. (laughs) I'll I'll let him tell you what the the highlight for the backshelf spotlight. This is a segment where we highlight games, uh, older games that you may not know about, but should, um, that come out of our closets quite often for for play. Um, Just a way to let you know that you don't have to go out and look for brand new games to find really There's good a lot of classics quality, out there that classic games a long time and they don't have to be super nerdy type games you know we'll play marbles just as easily as yep. we'll play you know advanced squad exactly. leader or something like that so but this week you've chosen the perfect thing near and dear to my heart and that's <laughs> dice <laughs> if it's got dice i want it and i i love any game that plays with dice not necessarily that I have to always play games that are just luck. Right. But there's just something about a handful, whether it's one or 50 dice, and shaking them and rolling them. It's just, it's great. Dice have been around forever. They started off as, what, just rocks or shells. Yeah. You know, rolling shells and decide where they land up or down. Yeah. There's some, we've had some preoccupation with, you know, with <laughs> having something in our hands and rolling them. Well, arguably, I could you could say that that's the first form of game period right. is some form of dice of rolling right and i i love dice i'm addicted to them i have has a, a collection of dice which is sick and they, num- <laughs> they number in the thousands and there are that many different types of dice and he has them all categorized <laughs> and and boxed up by color and pip and well, size and you never and know <laughs> when you might pull out a game and you might need that Half purple, half orange, seven-sided <laughs> die, and you need to know exactly where to find it. I can remember the first time coming over to a game at your house, and you were like, wait a minute, I've got to go get the dice for this game because I keep all my dice separately. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? He was like, well, come down here. And, you know, I've got a pretty damn big closet full of games. 
he has a closet that's about the size of my game closet that is nothing but dice. <laughs> and he has them all organized so that you know he knows exactly what bin to open up and pull out the two dice for the specific <laughs> game that we were and I gonna think play. It stems actually. It's astounding. <laughs> I enjoy playing with the dice so much that I think every game is better with if you can pull out a, a game where everybody usually there's like two dice in this game, period. Mm-hmm. If everybody gets their own two dice and they're the colors or the styles that they like and you get to kind of hold on to them and play with them the whole time, it just makes that game that much cooler. For, I agree. For a sick individual. Like yeah. That. <laughs> okay, so enough of my um, problems. Um, so which, which games do we... I'll do the first one. Okay. Classic. Um, is it... We've got 1998 on here. The, I don't think that's right. That I think that's the most recent reprint of this okay, game because that's an older, the, way yeah, older game. Than actually, that. started as in and as a college game, right? Yeah. It was kind of founded in somewhere in New England. I, I was wanting to say like California a, for some reason, but you're probably we're right. as far apart as we could possibly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go west, jug man. <laughs> so who the hell knows? But I thought it was like an Ivy League school. I mean, or something. You're probably right. You're probably right. But um, basically, it's a dice rolling greed style game. Um, Describe what you mean by greed style for um, people out there who don't know. Greed style game, basically four, five, six dice varies, but you roll the dice, um, you're looking for a certain combination of the dice that score points. And as long as any of the dice that you roll score, you can set them aside and choose to go again. In Therein being the greed, because you, as long as you keep getting something that you can set aside, you can keep going. And you can do that till the cows come home. However, the second you roll something that doesn't score, you lose everything that you have saved up to that point. So it's basically how greedy are you going to be? Feast or famine, in other words. And most of the games are designed to specifically push you down the path of being as absolutely greedy as you can. (laughs) Of course. Oh, just one more roll. I know I can do it. Bam. You lose everything. Sorry. (laughs) Exactly. It's gone. And Cosmic Wimp Out, I think, which is, is the game I is, think we failed to mention. Say, oh yeah, <laughs> the game would be Cosmic Wimp Out, um, which I think is one of the neatest. I think they've done one of the neatest little mechanical twists on this. Yeah, you know, they've got um, the theme is just this cosmic, spacey, weird. Well, instead of like normal pips, like you would have on, you know, yeah, a, a like traditional set of dice. A st- a star cluster, yeah, <laughs> and uh, just all kinds of it, crazy. It totally smacks of you know a bunch of stoner way dudes in the late sixties, early seventies who who you know like these greed style games. And they they said you know, dude, what if we made a moons and yeah, like and stars, stars and, and like constellations, wiggles, wishies? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And it's it comes usually it comes with like a little felt board, mm-hmm. you know, that you're advancing around. And I think even you can even customize. I think you can get six, seven, eight different boards. Oh yeah, yeah. There's you all totally kinds can. of boards that you can get. But basically, we describe greed games in a nutshell. Yeah. You know what you, what you do in the twist. The fun thing with this one is the footless rule. Yes. Is that what they call it? Yes, it's, I think it's you're been right. a long time. You know, <laughs> no need to beep us out here. He said it's futless. futless. <laughs> Don't ask us what the hell that word means. Yep. I, but <laughs> it's where they kind of force you to be greedy one step farther than anybody else because if you're successful in using all five dice, you can't go, wow, that was That's awesome. I'll me. take that. They're like, 
No. Roll them all again. No choice. And if you don't roll any scoring combinations, too bad, so exactly. sad, you lose everything. So they've got they've got the, the footless rule that does that, and then they've got the three... The flame? Flash. There's flash. They, as well. they got the flash rule, so every time you get three of a kind, that's cool and you want to keep them, but you have to roll again. So those kind of feed off of each other and force you into these insane series of rolls where you find yourself having this really cool amount of points that you never get to keep. <laughs> At what I would say the other thing, too, is that where most of these games are sort of uh, isolated, sort of like we were talking about with Bazaar, mm-hmm. um, where you're just kind of rolling and nobody else can pay necessarily has to pay attention, which can be a good thing for a really informal kind of game. Uh-huh. In this game, because of all these extra things, people are like, "Oh, there's a flash! You've got to roll again." Yeah, exactly. You know, don't don't even be thinking you're going to get away with. I, with I've not played this rolling game many times when everybody else has counted my dice before I before they even rolled. Which I think is really cool <laughs> yeah. that it has that extra little bit of interactivity to it. Um, the, the wild die, too. The black. Um, right, yeah. There's four white die and, and one then, four dice and one black die. Mm-hmm. And it's got the uh, flaming son of death yeah. or something on it that um, <laughs> you could use to make a three of a kind. Yeah. Um, I think is there's, the there's some way? funky rules where they force you to use it. Mm-hmm. In certain ways, if you know, there's certain hands where you're forced to use that sun. Right. You don't have a choice. In other ones, you can use it as a wild thing. So, it was really creative, and it involves dice and greed. <laughs> yeah, you can also play it with almost any number of people, right. which is really awesome. They're not that many games, and it fits in your pocket. I mean, yeah. you can take it on a plane, play it for, and you can set any point total you want. If you got ten minutes, hey, let's play to a hundred. If you've got a half an hour, play it. 10,000 or whatever. Oh, the train wreck rule is really fun, too. Where, or, no, it's, it's not the train wreck. It's, I can't think of the name of it. Where if you roll the maximum... Wimp, well, no, wimp out is just not, not Yeah, wimp, wimping out is when you don't sco- uh, score anything. I think you were right. Is it a train, train wreck? Where train if you wreck. score the maximum possible points, you automatically lose because that's just too many points. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which it, I think is hilarious. It, it's like rolling five or six of a kind in one roll. Yeah. And if you do it so awesome, you lose. <laughs> Which is just hilarious. And just a quick little aside, um, there's so many greed-style games out there that we could mention a couple really quick. There's Filler Bust. There's actually a game called Greed. Yes. Um, and um, there's the Cheesehead. Um, what am I thinking of? Bun- um, um, bu- Bunko. Well, there's Bunko, Bunko, which everybody is familiar with, yeah. I think, under the there's sun. There's Six Cubes. Um, there's we mentioned um, Sid Saxon earlier. His can't stop. Can't stop. Yes. And I really wish I could think of that little cheese head game that comes in a little old 35 millimeter cheese canister. Um, I have no idea what or, you're talking did just about. Say, did I just say cheese canister? <laughs> yes, you I did. I meant a 35 millimeter film <laughs> canister. Um, Excuse me, sir. Yeah, exactly. I would like Farkle. a canister of gorgonzola. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. A little film canister full of cheese. But I just remembered it's Farkle. Ah, oh, yes, of course. Farkle. You know, um, and they've got like the cheese head <laughs> version. You know, I don't know why, but. So, you had me going. I was like, what are you what talking about? What the hell is he talking game? about? Like Green Bay Packer game? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but needless to say, there's a, there's a lot of great style games. The second game, which is a game that you own. Yeah, one of the rare games that I own that Dave does not. <laughs> Although I probably have 50. Oh, you, oh, I've got you a few definitely have a handful. You definitely the, do. So um, the second game um, that we're going to discuss is Peg Poker. 
Um, it's a game that came out in 1993. Uh, unknown designer, unfortunately. Uh, nowhere on the packaging. Uh, publisher's Wheeler Enterprises. It's for one to four players. Playtime's about an hour. I'd say you could actually play in less than an hour um, with two people or... Or it may be an hour if you have four people. And it has, you said it's 1993? Mm-hmm. That's newer than I would have thought, because I would have thought... It has the look and the feel of an older game, just in looking right. at the packaging. And I don't know whether that's conscious on their part to make it exactly. sort of look like one of these sort of classic-style like games, low. or whether it's a reprint of an older game. I didn't do enough research to find out, so if anybody knows out there for sure, feel free to, to email us. Um, at um, Stephen at thespiel.net or Dave at thespiel.net. Our website, of course, is thespiel.net. <laughs> um, where you can find our show notes and our episodes and the list if you want to see uh, upcoming things or if you want to suggest things for us to right. play next. We'll certainly entertain things like that. We're, we're getting ready to hopefully soon put up. Um, have have multiple lists games yes. games that we need to play games that we would love to purchase and unfortunately games that we have purchased which is a gargantuan <laughs> list yes but you can it'll make there. us feel better though in a way because you know you'll actually get to see that we actually have played way yeah. more games yeah. than we have not played you so. get to see why why sixty unplayed games doesn't seem too bad <laughs> it doesn't seem as daunting once you see how many we've actually played so um, the sort of quick pitch of the game would be Yahtzee meets poker meets tic-tac-toe because it incorporates all three of those types of That's games cool. into one game and actually does it pretty well. You know, granted, if you don't like dice games, you shouldn't be playing this one, but I'm taking it as a given that <laughs> you shouldn't be playing this game if, right, if you don't exactly. like dice games. So you have a set of really cool oblong, rectangular sort of shape uh, poker dice you have a plastic board that's sort of like a cribbage board in that it has little holes for you to put uh -huh. your pegs into uh, that have different poker hands listed in it, but they're in a grid, sort of like a bingo board right. or a tic-tac-toe board, although there are more squares than a tic-tac-toe uh -huh. board. Um, so it's more like bingo. I think it's five by five. Five by five, or it's four by four. Sorry, I've got the and it's, thing it's right here. In front every of me. every player has one of those, or it's one. It's just one one board, okay. and each person has a set of basically cribbage pegs that that are their colors, and you take turns. It's a little bit like the greed game in that you you're or a Yahtzee type game where you're going to take these thirteen four-sided poker dice and you're going to roll them all at once and make a hell of a lot of noise, and you're going to try to make the best five-card poker hand that you can out of those, out of your roll. Um, but you get a certain number of re-rolls, just like in Yahtzee, to try to build your hand into the best thing that you can. When you finish with those rolls, you've got to take stake claim to one of those spots on the grid by putting your pegs in that spot. Um, so the, the gist of the game comes down to trying to get to claim uh, areas of the board um, okay. to achieve victory, a line, or I've played in several different configurations. You so kind of, uh, you know, you could do sort of the bingo thing where you could do lines corners, or four or corners or a, a square. square. The interesting thing comes as the board begins to fill up. You have to be able to best someone. Well, you can replace to replace their peg. So you may roll and go well. 
all I could get was a pair out of all these crap-ass rolls. I got a pair of deuces or whatever. So you put your pegs in there. The board starts to fill up. Well, that pair of deuces is obviously going to be the high nail. That's going to be the first to go. So if you can just roll a higher pair, you kick their pegs out and take over that spot. How do you keep track of knowing that it was a pair of deuces? Um, well, I think it actually. I don't even think it goes pair of deuces. I think it's just a pair. I, I don't. I think it's pair, two pair, three of a kind. Uh, okay. So it doesn't. It doesn't get that. Okay. There's a bad example. <laughs> okay, so you, you would have to actually get a higher ranked poker hand. Oh, than okay. Whatever was rolled there, there to, okay. to get it out. Um, so there is some strategy involved with it, but it's. I to me, it's just a really interesting. It's one of those games, like you said, it feels like an older. Game that's been around for a long time, but yet it's a game you could get out with, you know, your mom and dad mm-hmm. or your grandparents, and it's not your typical, it's not Yahtzee, it, but yet it still incorporates those kind of rules. It's something that they probably haven't played before, but in five minutes you can teach they them how to play. To me, it's just fun to have this big load of, of cool looking poker dice that um, you're rolling and, you know, there's that sort of tactileness to having the the sort of cribbage aspect of the board and the pegs and stuff, and it, it's a game we should. I can't believe that I haven't gotten out and forced you to play. Yeah, it's, I, I can't wait to try that. It's totally dice, cool. poker, and a little, little bit of cribbage, little bit of mixed cribbage in, in there. there. Little um, greed. I'm all over that. Can't beat it. Um, it's really unique. You can definitely find it online. I've seen it. Um, Several places. I, I did an eBay search before this episode, uh-huh. and I found uh, a lot of copies. Copy, not a lot, but I found copies up there with buy it now options for ten dollars. Oh, okay. And, holy crap! It's worth ten. It retailed, I think, for twenty or thirty. Okay. I think it was thirty because of just the amount of dice and the the big plastic board that comes with it. If you can find it for ten, buy it the minute you can find it because it's it's way worth <laughs> your time for a nice, huh. just light, you know. Evenings entertainment with the family or whatever, great, I'm, great fill that. Great I'm all fill over that. that. Don't. Okay, so if anybody sees me bidding on that on eBay, yeah, don't outbid me. <laughs> Just don't tell them your uh, eBay name, exactly. and they'll be safe. <laughs> so um, that'll wrap up uh, the backshelf spotlight for this oh, week. Those were two great games. That's everybody should try those guys out. Can't can't go wrong with the <laughs> dice from the dice man exactly himself. Woo-hoo. Truckloads of Goober. My favorite segment of the spiel every week because it, it has the best name, of course, and that is Truckloads of Goober. Goober, Goober, Goober. So for the uninitiated, Dave, give them the, the short the short spiel on the spiel about Truckloads of Goober. What, what is Truckloads of Goober? Truckloads of Goober is exactly what it sounds like. It's just a game that comes with massive, copious, huge, gargantuan quantities of stuff. You open up a box and go, holy crap. Or basically, you can't even lift the box because there's so much stuff. (laughs) Or on the flip side, a a game that comes with a component that is the most unique thing that you've ever seen. Um, We love playing the games. I also love collecting the games, and I collect them for various reasons, one of which is... Holy crap, look how much goober is in this game. Or just look at that one really cool thing. And that's my definition of truckloads of goober. <laughs> so um, this and the segment is to highlight a game that has that going for it. It, it might not even be the best of all games right. in other respects. But this is to celebrate the stuff 
exactly. that comes with games because you don't hear people talk about that as an important element of enjoying games. And by God, it, it really is. is an important aspect. It's not the only one. We're not saying judge the no, book you, by You can cover. take a good game and make it great with mm-hmm. awesome components. You can take a great game and make it awesome. You can even take a crappy game. If it looks awesome and has awesome shit in there, you're going to play it, and it's going to make a crappy game actually... You're gonna to want to get off the shelf and play it. Yeah. So it's it's pretty pretty important. So uh, what is the the game this week? For the game this week is Star Wars: The Queen's Gambit. Um, Excellent choice. Kind of a cool little game. I can't remember when this game came out. It was '90s. No, it came out right after the the first oh, Star Wars uh, Episode One movie, which would have been when the heck was that? 2001? Yep. 2000? 2000, 2001. Yep. So right around there. And basically, uh, I think it was Avalon Hill, Hasbro. It was, um, who, who did the designer was um, Craig Van Ness and Alan, Ro- Alan Roach and Rob DeVoe, I believe, are the three guys. And they have done a lot of other stuff for um, Avalon Hill slash Hasbro. Looking at the box to see if I can see a date on it. I found the date oh, 2000. Oh, is it okay? <laughs> yep. But um, this is one of those games that came out in 2000, and kind of you didn't really hear anything about it. Was it was here and gone before it, you even it, knew it existed. Exactly. And then after it disappeared, all of a sudden you started hearing this hype about, you know, especially for people who were Star Wars fans. Hey, here's this game with just gargantuan amounts of star little plastic <laughs> Star Wars figurines. Um, and stuff in it. And that, that's where I heard about it. I saw it on, on the internet somewhere. I'm like, why don't I have this? Yeah, I remember you bringing it to my attention you know, because I, of that. I saw a picture with this game set up. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap. I mean, it was. it's got... It's basically... It's got three sections, one of which is a 3D section in the center, which is three levels high. And it's not just for looks. Your pieces are actually on these three levels going through these battles. And... I'll actually let you read the synopsis because it's based on the four battles that were at the end of Star Wars Episode One, which makes it really cool. If you want to read that, sure. Let everybody know. Sure. So, uh, uh, based on the four battles at the end of Star Wars Episode One, Phantom Menace, the battle on the plane between the Gungan forces and the droid army, the attempt by the Naboo forces led by Queen Amidala to storm the palace and capture the Trade Federation viceroys the fight between Darth Maul and the two Jedi Knights, and a space battle in which Anakin's starfighter destroys the droid control ship. So you basically have three games going on simultaneously. Yeah, you've got a one board. Outside battle, inside battle, space battle. space battle, battle and <laughs> then you've got the lightsaber battle between... Oh, yeah, sorry, forgot about uh, that. You know, and it's... <laughs> you're happy, obviously, you're playing... One side is playing the dark side, and yes. one side is playing the light side, and you're trying to keep track of these four battles at the same time <laughs> that are going on, which makes it kind of a neat game. That's not why it's in this particular spotlight. Yes. It's in the spotlight because, well, yes. I don't know if you can hear this. That is a truckload of goober. <laughs> there are... If we can't define it, you can hear it. <laughs> exactly. Here's it setting down on the table. <laughs> it's, it's huge. It weighs like 12 pounds, I swear. But there are just tons. Of, and you know what? I forgot. To, I don't know if I ever mentioned this. When I bought this game, it came with 
double the pieces that were supposed to be in it. Oh no, you never told me yes. that. Yes, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I opened this thing and the largest pieces are, um, goodness, I can't remember exactly what to call, but imagine that the largest plastic pieces that came in this game, I got two double of all of those that were supposed to come in. It was insane. But it's just, it's gargantuan. Tons of cards. So, yeah, describe some of the, I mean, there's, what, 155 plastic miniatures that come right, with exactly. the, the game of all different types and configurations, little droids, little, uh, you know, uh, rebel, or not rebel, but I'm thinking right, classic Star Wars. Right, the, um, you got the clone forces, that am the, I thinking? Well, the Gungans and the Queen Amidala's, the it, palace soldiers and those sorts of things. Um fighting alongside each other, you know. Uh, but there's also architectural elements because you've got the actual palace itself. Palace is a big 3D, three-level kind of guy. Of course. <laughs> David's setting up the I'm box. Flipping so over can... the box so we can actually ogle it right now because we're not going to go through setting up the whole, <laughs> yeah. the whole thing right now. But, yeah, they've got uh, just insane number of figures and when we set it up it was cool just to look at it's got like a little miniature of the Anakin's little fighter ship and everything and it's got didn't it have something with there were multiple color like the main character figures yes. had like two figures of each one in different colors and yes I can't remember how that played into the strategy but I thought that was pretty cool each I guess each individual unit has its own particular pose and things and there are just a zillion types of units so Keeping it, it makes it hard to keep track of what's going on, but that's part of the fun of it. Literally takes up your whole tabletop when you're playing, and you know one third of the battle is this outside thing, and the other one is the inside, and you actually are moving pieces up and down up and the down. levels. And you're right, they've got like 155 figures. You got 90 battlefield cards, 90 palace cards, you know starfighter cards. You've got 16 dice, unique dice to come with that's this right, game. That's right. That's right. You know, you've got life markers, reference cards, charts, boards. You know, this has got all of the goober yeah. across the board. <laughs> in some in some cases, you know, games that take forever to set up, that's not a good thing. But I'd say this is one of the, this is kind of a special exception because right. the components and just setting up the board is just kind of cool. It's actually kind of half the fun of playing yeah, this yeah. game. It, the game is pretty... It's not a bad game. It's just an average just kind right. of roll and, and blow up each other's pieces kind of war game. It's a game. fun diversion for a two-player, because it's specifically yeah. a two-player, you know, battle in, you know, in the vein of the uh, what Risk and Axis yes, and Allies yes. and stuff like that. But when you add that to the fun of actually sort of building the board and setting mm -hmm. up the battlefield, that that's what tips it in the balance of being an actually really enjoyable thing to me is that the game itself is pretty fun, but when you couple that with getting to just play with all right, this cool all stuff for an, an hour before you even actually play the game... And that, it ties in with the movie so well. Yeah, you know, actually. I mean, every, everybody you know, loves the Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. Episode 1 was. Exactly. <laughs> the game's actually better than the movie. <laughs> um, and I'll, we'll include uh, pictures of the game in our show notes uh, set up so you can ogle it yourself and see right. see it's, what our definition of truckloads of, <laughs> of Goober, because this is certainly one that, that fits the bill pretty damn well. I exactly. Um, so that'll do it for truckloads of goober the game sommelier or right game wrong crowd 
Lastly, we are back to our challenge of the week. Uh, th- <laughs> this segment is called The Game Sommelier. We fancy ourselves uh, in the game world just like a, a sommelier is in, in the wine world. We can match up the best game with the right per- the, the right kind of game with the, the right, right kind crowd. of crowd. Um, because so often you can end up in a situation where you pick... <laughs> Uh, the right game, but it's for the totally wrong right. crowd, and everybody ends up saying, oh god, I'll never, never play that never game play again. Right. When it actually is a great game, but you just didn't take into account the personalities or the mindsets of the people that you were going to sit down to play. That's a really important thing to think about, because to, to us, that's really the fun of playing games, is um, trying to find a way for the game to be a vehicle for everybody to sit down and have fun. Every game um, doesn't work with every... Yeah, we we have several friends that we can't play certain games with. Yes, it, that's unfortunate because what we enjoy about the games is that Stephen and I can play any game, <laughs> yeah. anytime, and have a blast. And we can't we can't imagine that everybody else can't. But there are those people out there that absolutely can't. So we're we're good at sort of pointing you in the right direction, just like a sommelier would with matching a wine with the right kind of meal. Every week, one or the other of us sets a challenge to the other person, and we describe a certain set of people, a certain crowd, uh, could be age, could be personality, whatever, and the other person has to come up with five games that they think will fit the bill perfectly, that will match, um, and everybody will have a good time playing those games. So... Uh, it was my turn to, to play <laughs> Havoc with Dave's game mind. So the challenge for Dave for the past week uh, was to find five games that you could play for you and your wife plus your hyper-competitive in-laws that they'll enjoy but will keep the peace in both houses. So they play to win, but uh, they have to enjoy the game. So they have to enjoy the game. Um, and but be at nobody's slopes. sleeping on the couch at the end <laughs> of the night. Exactly. Well, this was this was a tough one. I'm not sure if you grabbed this out of thin air or if you had a specific in-law in mind, <laughs> but because um, that possibility does exist. <laughs> and um, what I would recommend before I recommend any games would be to start off with a bottle of Don Eduardo. <laughs> <laughs> Get them all liquored up with tequila. <laughs> then it doesn't make any difference. But... Uh, Okay, I think I'll... <laughs> the jury's out, but keep going. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, first thing, before I actually pick the games, I'll kind of give you a little of why I pick these games. Okay. Um, first thing was that I don't think that the competitiveness can or should be eliminated. I think what you instead need to do is try to refocus that competitive competitiveness somewhere else. Okay. Um, and if you can attempt to do that, you know, then maybe something else can bear the brunt of this person's <laughs> craziness. Okay. So what I did is I, I chose two types of games. Okay. I picked um, strictly luck-based games, which you may think is absolutely insane, <laughs> um, and I picked collaborative slash cooperative games. Okay. So instead of, you know, being competing against other people, you're going to be working together. So we'll start off with the luck-based games. Um, in a strictly luck-based game, the players have little or no control over the individual game actions, and in some cases, they have very little influence over the outcome of the game itself. So in this instance, the, the mechanics of the game can actually become the scapegoat 
I think, for a player's inability to compete, which makes it easier for a hyper-competitive player to um, deal with possible failure, which is, I think, the uncomfortable position you find yourself in when playing with a hyper-competitive person. You can tell they absolutely do not want to fail mm. under any circumstance, and that's what makes it uncomfortable. So um, I think if you can just do a strictly luck-based game, with any luck, you can avoid you can avoid that because if it's me and I'm the hyper competitive person and I know that I have absolutely no control over these dice or whatever other component you're using, I might be able to take take a beating a little bit better than if I know the beating came from you kicking my ass because you were better than me. Yeah. So, so hopefully that's my idea behind choosing possibly a completely luck based game. Okay. Whether you're going to convince them to play that completely luck based game is a different story. But hopefully you can. Um, the second type of game is the collaborative or cooperative game, and I think in that type of game, I think the game ex- the game itself can become the focal point for the competitiveness. Mm. Um, and I think the cool thing about this style of game is that um, even a non-competitive player might find themselves becoming more competitive than they would usually be. It kind of, I think, when the opponent is a, a non-tangible opponent. It creates kind of a mob mentality when with the, the game itself. with the players, and you see, you know see typically sh- um, timid and shy people all of a sudden going, "We're gonna kick this game's ass. <laughs> we can do it. Come on, just one more turn of the card. It's got to be the right thing, you know." And it gets crazy. And I think as long as everybody is crazy and hyper competitive, then all of a sudden it's fun. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever there's one, whenever there's one or two people that are really super competitive, it can be. A little scary, but if somehow you've convinced everybody to be hyper competitive against this non tangible entity that is the game, then all of a sudden it might be okay. Yeah. So with that sick and twisted reasoning, okay. <laughs> for I can the two, see, I can see your, I can mostly see your logic. <laughs> um, I'll I'll have my two cents here in a moment. Uh, you go go ahead. So we'll start off with the um, the first game I pick is strictly luck based game which is very strange. <laughs> That's funny. That's hilarious. It's Cosmic Wimp Out. <laughs> and obviously you all know everything there is to know about Cosmic Wimp Out now since we just discussed it earlier on the Backshelf Spotlight. <laughs> so I picked my first You're game psychic, is... Psychic, man. <laughs> I know. Very weird. Cosmic Wimp Out. What do you think? I can see... I definitely can see your point with the luck-based games. And I guess these will... Uh, my comments will kind of apply to the next three, I right. guess. Because... I can see where you're going on on your list here now. Um, I, I definitely can see where it would divert their animosity towards other people. Where you know, if they're getting pissed, right. you're not going to have people you know shaking their fists. Exactly. Saying, you you know you screwed me over. Um, they're just going to be um, those damn dice. I never can yeah, roll what I want. I could still. You know? I could. I guess I could still see them getting pissed off to the point that. If they're that competitive and they just have horrible luck, right? And they just, you know, because it can happen in like oh, Cosmic Wimp Out, where you know, easily. like everybody has scored the requisite number of points to get on the board to start out with, and you're still and you're still waiting there, wimping out every single time. Right. I could see somebody who's really competitive getting just frustrated, pretty pissed, the point of, right. and just not wanting to play. Right. Anymore. That could definitely happen. Provided that that doesn't happen, since it's a luck-based game, I mean, that could happen at any, any point. But it could easily not happen too. Right. I'll gi- I'll give you that one. I'll, I'll definitely give you that one. There's a little shakiness there, but I'll, gi- I'll give the thumb is shaking, but it's up. Cool. 
Cool. Uh, my second game was uh, is a very similar style of game, but it's, it's called Lucky Loop. And what I like about this game, it is a luck-based game. It is a greed-style game, but it has a unique mechanic that instead of just rolling dice to get X combination and score points, it's got a cool, fun theme as to to where you're um, you're what you're competing in an aerial stunt show, and you're so you've got a deck of cards, and instead of just you're you're pulling one card out of each of the three decks and creating your own aerial stunt. So while it's still completely luck based, I think a hyper competitive person is going to be able to focus on trying to create these cool little aerial stunts that are going to be different every time you play the game. Nobody else can affect anything that you pick. You can't blame anybody for you know picking a stunt that you picked and that you couldn't do. Uh-huh. Um, so with with any luck, that's one thing that will that could bear the brunt of their insanity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, there's no interaction at all between the players I, in that game. I don't I've think only so. played it once, so I don't remember. I, I don't believe so okay. at all. It's 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 exactly like all other you know Greek style games in that you know. You're going to go for what you can go for. If you can't get it, you're not going to get it. Yeah. You know, but I thought that was kind of, I liked the game itself, and I thought you could maybe get by with that. I've actually, I almost like that better than the Cosmic Wimp Out. I may have to switch my okay. thumbs up and thumbs down here because I like the fact that you feel like you have a little more control right. and you're sort of building something in front of you instead of it just being totally the whims of fate. Right, even with, though it really is. Even though it really but, is, it, but it's the certainly, feel of the game, it feels like you have more control uh, and more things. And I could see that it would be harder for someone to get pissed right. in the way that they could get pissed at Cosmic Whip out if they're just totally dice hosed that particular night. Um, that I actually, in terms of those two, if I had to choose, I would say that Lucky Loops is a better, that, is a better choice okay. and the other one's a little meh. Cool. But, but I think that's... That's very much in keeping with that, keeping the focus on the game rather than on then, another exactly. person beating up on another person. Um, okay. Uh, the next one, also luck-based game, is called the Oil Man game, mm. which you and I had a chance to play not too long ago, a yeah, few months or something. And um, I think you'll agree that it absolutely is luck-based. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it's got this really cool 3D board that you shake up <laughs> the top of the board has holes in it, and what you're shaking up, you can't see. It's a super mysterious, secret something that's in this box, and you're trying to put little oil rigs down through these holes um, and some find out. Go. Some will go all the way down, and you'll actually hit oils. Other ones will get stuck after, you know, a hundred feet or something, you know. And so this is a completely, I think, a luck-based game that gives you avenues in like the money that you're spending, and how you're investing, and what type of things, but you certainly don't have, you have no idea mm-hmm. what section of the board is going to have oil and what section's not. And I think we enjoyed it the time that we played it. Oh, yeah. Um, and if somebody was super hyper-competitive, I think that this it was a fun, thematically, it oh, did yeah. really well. I oh, mean, you yeah. really felt like you were drilling for oil down in Texas or, mm-hmm. or across, you know, halfway across the planet, you know. Um, <laughs> I think it was really fun, and I think that would... High marks for this one. I think that's a great... Of yeah. your three luck-based ones so far, I think, to me, I like the, the sneakiness 
of of this one the most because uh-huh. it doesn't seem as luck based. Even though you're totally right, it is as luck based. The theme of it and the unique, just complete uniqueness of the game itself is so distracting from the fact that essentially it is just oh, poke my thing in there and well, no oil there and I'm not going to get any money. But somehow. The whole playing of the game, it doesn't matter. That right. that totally gets lost in the fact that the, the components and everything is so unique that, you know, it's the truckloads of goober syndrome that, yep. that you know, that is so captivating in a way that it just trumps everything else. And would your focus would be on, how does this game even work? Wow, <laughs> my thing, it doesn't go down there. And Yes, cool. big, big thumbs up to that one. I like cool. that a lot. Good deal. So we move on to my last luck-based game which some people may or may not agree that it's luck-based, but <laughs> um, the game is called Adel Verflichtig, hmm. um, which it also goes by the name of By Hook or Crook and by the name of By Fair Means or Foul. <laughs> so if you see any of those three games, they're all one and the same. Um, and it's luck-based in that you have each person has three or four identical action cards, and every turn... You pick one of those cards, place it down, face down in front of you, and then everybody flips them over at the same time. Based on who else picked the same thing that you picked will decide whether or not you get to do that action or how you get to carry that action out. So it's it's very fun. You have absolutely no control, but it's fun to look around the table and go, you know what, it's obvious that he wants to do this, so I need to do this. But he knows that I know what he wants to do, so I, do I need to pick what he thinks I'm going to pick because he knows that I'm going to pick what I really should pick? You it's got it, yeah. absolutely insane. Yeah. You have no control over it, but the outcome is just zany, and I would hope that it's zany enough to make somebody who's you know, crazy and competitive you know, relax and just have a good time yes. with this. Well, and again, it's the illusion of control because you think that you can sort of outsmart the other people it, by anticipating what they're going right. to think when, in essence, you've still got such a huge element of chance in there that no matter how much brain power you put <laughs> exactly. behind it, you can totally be undone by somebody doing something just whacked out stupid in comparison right. to what you thought. Oh, well, that, that would be the logical <laughs> thing for them to do, and they just do something but stupid exactly. compared to what you think they're going to do. Um yeah, I, I really like the, the sneaky luck the ones, cool. I think, definitely fit the mark really and well. I just scribbled some things down here. If you're interested in a game like this, um, there are some other games that share the exact same mechanic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a game called Skyrunner, there's a game called Eidelstein and Reich, and a game called Mongolfieri. Mm. All three of those games share the exact same mechanic with Edelweirflechtig. Just different themes and a few other different mechanics thrown in for fun, but the core of the game is the same. So if you think that's if you think the one is you would enjoy the one, you would enjoy the others as well. Yeah, that's excellent. You did your homework. Woo! So now we move on to the second part of the list, which are the collaborative and cooperative games. Okay. Which have been around for a while, but only recently have all the sort of a renaissance exactly type game. Yeah, Um, definitely. And so I've picked two of them, which means my total is going to come to. Six games instead of five, but you've already slightly dissed one, so yeah. that's cool. I think I'm dissing it out right now. Yeah, it's, okay, now it's just gone. <laughs> I'm building up it's to it. It's gone. Crap. It's out. <laughs> so the first one I picked was a new game that we have discussed recently, um, Arkham Horror. An, 
not actually a new game, but a reimagining of a game that's it's about twenty years old. About twenty years old. Yeah. Um, and I played it for the first time just about a year ago when it first came out, and I thought that I thought it was awesome, and I thought that um, just for the reasons I gave before, that everybody is focused towards a common you know enemy, which is the game itself. And it just sucks everybody in. You can't help but not work together in this game. Mm-hmm. It just forces you to just go over the top, yes. you know, with your, you know, aggressiveness against this game. And it's it's a blast. And I think hopefully it will reel in, you know, and kind of tone down somebody's competitiveness. Well, I, I well, I don't even think that that's. I think it won't necessarily tone it down. But again, you've redirected it towards the game and not another person. And right. I thought your point about it making, you know, someone who's not necessarily competitive a little more right. <laughs> anxious about the game, and someone who ordinarily would be like, "We're working together." Well, who do you who do you beat in this game? Yeah. The game, if it's going to be a collaborative, cooperative game, the challenge has to be high enough. To where you really feel like you've done something, or you know the the game can really kick your ass um, for it to work right with a competitive person. I think because they want to feel like there's a challenge, there's exactly. a threat out there, and to me that's a that's a really good choice for that reason alone. Because you're going to have all that sort of competitive juice, but you can direct it towards. Um, this just impossible task yeah. that's been set that, in front of you, and you actually a... have to help the other people in order to win. You can't just say, "Screw you all! I'm going to go out and <laughs> save Arkham by myself." Because right. if you do yeah, that, it's not going to happen. Guaranteed, you're going to fail. Arkham Horror is a very, um, it's definitely a great adversary. I mean, it's going to kick your ass more often than not. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I would, uh, yeah. For, as far as that kind of game, it, your first when you first mentioned that, I thought, "No, I'm totally not going <laughs> to." Agree, but I, I can totally see where you're going with this. If, if everyone is competing against the game, then everyone wins or everyone loses, and you can sit around and even talk about that afterwards. Say, oh, you know, and you, I can hear that exactly. kind of conversation going on. And even days later, you know, hey, we got to get that out again because <laughs> the last time we played, you know, we got, we got so close, but I know exactly. we can do it this time. Um, so, yeah, I ding. Cool. Comes up to that one. And the last one we really don't even have to go a lot into because it's same style of game. Yeah. It's called Shadows Over Camelot. And it also is a cooperative style game where everybody's working together. Um, exact same thing, just thematically different. The only thing I recommend with this one is that if you're playing with a really hyper-competitive person, you might leave out the option of the traitor. In this game, you can have one person randomly who might be a traitor and... If you have somebody who's really hyper competitive, the trader might cause some problems. Maybe, maybe not. You know. I, yeah, see, I disagree there. I think that actually, I would either put Shadows Over Camelot with the trader in because uh-huh. I could see that being a way to within the mechanics of the game, they're allowed to be competitive rather than you know sometimes the, the, that kind of hyper competitiveness comes uh-huh. out in a way that the game mechanics don't allow. You know, somebody's just going to put the smack down on someone <laughs> when it doesn't even make sense within the game for them to really right. do that. This but game, it sort of gives them that permission slip to say, okay, you are going to be the sneaky bastard in this game. <laughs> and everyone knows going in that there's a chance that's that it. one of you people like that, you know, is going to be the person like that. So it's almost sort of a that's, legalized that's a form yeah. of, of being that competitive person. Right. person 
but you can always give them the out of saying, well, he was a traitor, you know, he's just doing his job. <laughs> That's okay. Or, I guess the other one, I would say, I like this as a thumbs up with the traitor, or my alternate suggestion would be to do the Lord of the Rings right. game, which is a competitive game, with the Sauron expansion, right. because there, there's no bones about it. You no. have one person who is the you know, yeah, that dark, heavy, evil one who can just sit back and just say, bring it, I'm going to yeah. smack I, you I down. Have, I have to agree with you there. I probably should have picked that one for the, for the sheer thing that you can decide before the game even starts who is going to be... If you know that there's one person, yeah. you can just yeah. say, okay, here, this role was designed for you. <laughs> exactly. You can sit there and make our life a living hell, and you know what? That's what you're supposed to do in this game, <laughs> right, exactly. and we're going to sit here and plot and connive and try to keep you from doing yeah, that. Exactly. That would have been yeah. That would have been great. I missed missed the boat not picking that. One. So I mean, in a way, it's just it's that channeling again. It's just right. channeling that yep. competitiveness through the the game, which I think you you put your finger right on it. So good cool. job, Woo. definitely good job. So I guess it's uh, it's my turn to take my medicine here. So yeah, uh, I've I've got a good challenge for you. I hope. <laughs> Cool. For of the next time, so let me find it. Here, you let go. me have it. <laughs> so, what I want you to do is to find five games for eight or more players that aren't your typical team play party slash trivia games. Because it seems like the majority of the games that we find today that are for a large number of people are specifically meant to divide up into teams hmm. and to either play, you know, party party type games like whether it be categories or you know, taboo or something like that, or a trivia game. Hmm. Um, so I want you to try and find games that aren't those type of games. Eight people can play, not in teams, and also I want you to try and find games that have same night replayability. Something that eight people aren't going to play and take five hours to play. Okay. Something that you're going to be able to get together with a large group of people and play several game, several hands or games of this over the course of the night, so everybody has a feeling like that they've had a chance to win, or at least we're in the running for winning. Okay, you know, several little games instead of you know something that's going to take the entire night. Which, with that many people, there are a lot of games out there that are going to take a long oh, time. Oh yeah, yeah. So mm, I'd wow. be interested in the games that that you can. The bar has been raised yet again <laughs> here. Okay, that's going to be tough. So. Each person has to individually play. You know, right. There's no no, team no cooperation or team well, play. I'm not or saying that there can't be. There can be, be cooperation, but not necessarily you're just not on a team with another right. person. You basically haven't just whacked your whole entire group of friends in half. Okay. And are, you know, so there's an individual winner. Is that what you're getting at? In, right. in any one of these games, there's always an exactly. individual winner. And yep. And not, I guess there's multiple losers. But. Right. Yep, exactly. You're looking for an individual winner. Okay. Not that you can't have some team play during the game, but the outcome is going to be okay. Uno. Cool. Well, that's okay. I think I'm up. I think I'm up <laughs> for it. You're you're going to test me, but I think I can do it. So there you have it. I think. Uh, and with it, we've done another it. episode. We've gotten four four in the can here. We're. Uh, Moving on, I think uh, I'm having fun. I hope. Oh, it's, it's just a blast. I hope you're having fun, and I if, hope you out there in the listening world are having fun listening to if us. There's dorks. anybody out there that's even enjoying a small portion of any one of these. Let us know. We we yeah. just want to know if you guys yeah. are out there and and if you like what you're hearing because we're gonna keep doing this as, yeah. as long as yeah. we're having fun and, exactly. and we'll get better. And hopefully, and you can help us 
figure out the the parts that maybe we're not doing a good yeah, job. Yeah, if there in, are things know? that we're not covering that you want us to cover, let us know because we wanna we want this to be as fun for you as it is for us, and and uh, I think we're well on our way to doing oh, that. Yeah. Doing oh, yeah, that definitely. <laughs> so remember, whether it's the roll of a die, the turn of a card, or the draw of a tile, you don't have to play to win. You just, just have, have to play. play.